disease is taking root at that time, and if we're not addressing it then, then we're getting the diagnosis later on. That's what we need to get people to understand is everybody's waiting. They're waiting for the diagnosis. That's the problem. All behavior makes sense. Not to say that all behavior is helpful or ideal, but when we understand the psychology of behavior change, the emotional backstory, and the way that the brain works, things that on the surface appear to be illogical begin to make sense, and we can use that understanding to start shaping true change. Follow the fitness marketing model that it's like, here's this photo of me. I look this way because I eat these things and I do this exercise. You can just do that same thing too. And then when you show up and find out that that's not going to work for you. All right, welcome back to another episode of Wellness Unfiltered with the Deep Health Academy. My name is Sir John the Legendary, also known as Coach John. With me is Coach Caitlin, a gut health specialist who talks to people about poop, uh, quite literally. Uh, we've got Coach Chris, who who lifts heavy things and and yells at cats. And then we've got... Uh, <laughs> We've got Denise, who I'm going to let introduce herself and explain what she does and why we uh, why we coerced her to join us in this conversation today. <laughs> Welcome, Denise. <laughs> they looped me in. Yes, thanks for having me, John. Um, my name is Denise DeShutler, and I run the Passionate Health Advocate Show, which is a podcast based on helping people learn about resources and practitioners, and so they can find the care that makes sense to them. Uh, weeding out basically uh, the overwhelm and the misinformation. So that's uh, the point of the show. And I'm also a body worker. So I am a Morales Method structural integration practitioner and pain specialist, and I do manual therapy and movement education. Yeah. When you when you first said that, I, I heard bodybuilder, and then uh, I was like, nope, nope. Uh, body I build worker. up other people's bodies. Th there we go. So for for the ordinary listener out there, they hear these terms um, like structural integrational specialist. I think I got that right. Uh, some, something along those lines. Structural uh, integration practitioner. Yeah. There we go. Sorry. Um, what exactly does that mean? So primarily, so I'm under a big umbrella of structural integration. Um, some people may have heard of Rolfing. They fall under that umbrella. And actually, Rolfing was the first school. Um, and so we primarily look at uh, fascia, which I know that's becoming more of a trend nowadays. But that's looking at basically the body as a whole. So when we approach the body through movement and also restriction, it's, it's how does this webbing connect? How does it affect other parts of the body? And so for me, um, the training that I have is we look at fascia, but we also look at nerves, viscera, all the all the soft tissue, basically, that affects the structure. So fascia, for, for listeners, is kind of like shrink wrap around our muscles. Is that a reasonably accurate description? Uh, yeah, I mean, when it feels really tight, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It, it, it probably shouldn't be feel like that, but that's kind of what it is probably for a lot of people. Yeah, it's just these patterns that build up over time. I mean, fascia is something we're still exploring. There's still more education to it, more research to it. It's hard to prove a lot of it because there's still a lot unknown. What we do know is that it is a connective tissue. It's like that webbing that you have all throughout the entire body. And it goes around nerves. It goes around organs. It just goes through, like I said, throughout the body. And so when there is restriction, you really can't access like full movement. It adheres. And so we're trying to basically move through that, work through the fascia. And so for us, we know that it's all connected. And so, you know, let's say if there's something going on with someone's foot, you know, how does that relate to the shoulder? So we really, really look at the whole body. A lot of us will do 10 session series to build up uh, release and helping them move through these restriction patterns. Yeah, cool. I, I was kind of thinking about uh, what's the Sesame character count uh, count something or other. The Sesame Street character when he was like the, the count. The, the count. count. <laughs> Is that the you know the knee bone is connected to the ankle bone that sort of thing? Um, I don't think well, that's the that's same. A different character. I was yeah. like, count is like one, two, three. Ah, ah, ah. Yeah. Oh. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I guess I clearly I'm uh, <laughs> clearly I'm not so up to snuff on my Sesame Street. My kids. Only, <laughs> you Canadian, only, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My kids only only. Uh, well, he's actually be a year old here shortly, but uh, yeah, he hasn't seen anything to do with Sesame Street. So I guess I'm I'm out of the loop. 
I think what's really interesting about fascia is that, you know, it is sort of a newer area that people are learning about because when you look at old anatomy models, it's like you have bones and you have muscles and like, there's no talk really about what's in the space between the muscles or how those muscles are connected to each other or if they're connected, like, but we know there's separation between different muscles specifically, but then what we really are looking at now, right, is the, the fact that there's stuff there, there's yes. stuff there and it impacts our muscles ability to contract and extend. And that's actually sort of, I think, where fascia gets really, really interesting because they're they're learning about these fascial lines, right? And they're they're finding that that's exactly how your foot is connected to your shoulders because there's this line of pull mm-hmm. all the way through your body that you may not realize because there's no muscular attachment directly between those two places. Yeah. And so the role of fascia, like you say, you know, it's it's super like emerging. And I can remember before in training when foam rolling wasn't even a thing, right? When you did, we did no SMR whatsoever, it was like just stretch it, you know. And then and all of a sudden it was just, like, just, well, actually, just press pull hard until, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so you know, it's really coming along, and there's been some really great education stuff out there. So I think you know, I've had some questions about rolfing in the past because in my neighborhood, I've actually got a couple of people who are um, professionals and. I know it has a lot to do with posture as well. Is that correct? Or am I confusing it with Alexander technique? Because the Alexander technique and rolfing seem just and and just for again for listeners out there, rolfing is is R O L F and it stands mm-hmm. for rolling on the lake flapping. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't on fire today. Oh, well. I need to find a cat to bring in so that he can... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my just... show was all about not spreading misinformation. <laughs> so, <laughs> But I like that. So just to clarify, when I say structural integration, it's been around for many decades and there's a huge umbrella. So there's practitioners that fall under that. Mm-hmm. And Ida Rolf is the founder of Rolfing. So they kind of coined the term using her last name. Oh, you've been Rolfed. So then they became Rolfers. So um, she was the first one. She pioneered this whole concept of using fascia, using this whole structural integration um, and Alexander technique is also under the umbrella, just the approach. So what happens is it, when you receive work, um, it will affect posture, may not be the goal, but because it's like form follows function, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of people are like, oh, I want to improve my posture. Well, it's not really about like standing up straight. It's just like, how does your body work with the design that you currently have? And then obviously, if it's functioning better, the form is going to follow. So I know in the past, and I'm not a rolfer. So let me just clarify, I'm not a rolfer. I trained under a rolfer, but he started his own method. Um, so it's like a, a variation of structural integration that's that's different from rolfing. I just I say it because I feel like that's something that people are familiar with. Um, but in general, it's it's definitely one of the the benefits that you'll get, but it's not really the, the end all goal unless the posture is actually, you know, impeding in the health. Hmm. Versus the Alexander technique, I understand it's more really about like stacking and trying to maintain that more like organic position. So for the yeah. Average- and I haven't, I haven't worked a lot with, Ale- I mean, I know a little bit, but I can't really speak on it. I don't want to hmm. speak out of, you know, out of, it's out of my scope. Um, but I would say, you know, things have changed and there's certain perspectives using the fascia for me and the training I have, it's all about function. Uh, we actually follow Einstein's uh, functional form of development. So if you look at, you know, anybody with young children, um, you see like how they develop, right? There's first starting to crawl, move, sit up straight um, and then walking. It's kind of, you know, we follow that in our process when we're working with people. So for the average person, um, what what are the problems they're going to feel, and and say like I I need help with something here. What what's gonna what's gonna indicate them that this might be helpful? So for the people that I work with, a lot of it is they've had recurring injuries. You know, they just keep doing the same thing, or whatever they've tried doesn't work, and it's like why does this keep happening? And so for me, when I'm working with someone, it's just it's all cumulative. So we I take them through a program where it builds one session off the other of getting into that deep, deep restriction that maybe they weren't even aware. And it's as, and for me, I might have like a hypothesis in my head. Oh, I see what's happening, but I could be proven wrong throughout this whole program because the body starts to reveal the pattern as we go. And then one of the things while we add the movement piece is that 
they may not realize, we don't realize what's really the deeper restriction. And then once it's revealed, our body's used to moving with that restriction. So what do we do once that's freed up? So then we work on the movement of education once you have that space to move. Probably that's in a better way for you, but your body is not trained to move that way anymore. So that's why we're doing the movement education piece to get you through that and functioning through a better uh, movement pattern. I understand where you're coming from because, you know, this is very much when you work with corrective exercise and stuff, like this is sort of the process we work through as well. But I think it's really challenging for people who don't know anything about how their muscles recruit or in what order or whatever. Um, could you give like a specific example of like, let's say I come in with knee pain, like what's mm-hmm. your process look like? So I would say um, our process is one, I explore what's going on. So we actually do, I do visual assessment. So I have them walking around and I kind of just already kind of gather, okay, where am I seeing restriction that could be affecting the knee problem? And when you say restriction, what does that visually show up as? Um, I see tissue not moving correctly, or maybe I see the gates hindered in a certain way. So maybe Mm -hmm. the way that they're walking, uh, their strides are short or their hip is restricted. So it's like, I'm seeing like, okay, I don't see smooth movement um, in there and walking. And it could be like, okay, there's like a hold in the hip or, you know, inner leg. Uh, There might be something going on with the actual foot. And a lot of times what I see is when people are so hyper-focused on an injury, they just keep going straight there, straight there, straight there. Mm -hmm. And I tell a lot of people where you feel pain is not necessarily a cause. (laughs) So so I take a holistic view. I walk around. I see that. I get them on the table and then I start to work with where I see the restriction. And so I'll work with there and then I get them up again, moving to see, okay, how does that feel? How does that work? And when Um, you say work with the tissue, you mean massage? Yes. Sorry. Hands-on manual therapy. So, you know, for our practice, it's like massage is a bit different than structural integration. So for everyone to know, it's just like hands-on manual therapy that would look like massage. Okay. Because I think sometimes, you know, as things evolve as well, we develop special terminology for the differences between them. And I think this is one of those places where people feel really overwhelmed when they come in and they know that they want to try something new, but they don't necessarily know what all the terminology is. So I think it's really useful to go through some of these specific things and say, this is what this actually looks like when you show up, right? So when you say structural integration, that's another one. I feel like we could spend a minute or two sort of diving into what does that actually mean? Yeah. I know. And I will tell you, uh, it's kind of like for anybody, you know, going into a real specialty, it's like you can talk to the people that are your peers. And I think this is like one of the biggest challenges I feel in our industry. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, but how does that make sense to everybody else coming in that actually wants to get the work? You know, it's just like, okay, they fall asleep because you're bringing off too much jargon. And I don't, for me, I don't focus on that because I know it doesn't really matter. They're just like, I, I don't feel good. I keep having these injuries and I want help. So for me, it's more of uh, meeting them where they're at and I walk them through how I would work and show them that there's different ways that we move. And I think the biggest thing is knowing that um, you've tried certain things that's like maybe directly to the knee doing like certain exercises, but there could be issues that are happening above or below the knee that we aren't addressed. So we're going to look at that and see how it affects your whole body. So, because I'm inclined to think that uh, painkillers and muscle relaxants are probably some of the top selling medications in North America, and and obviously, and as Viagra. A temp- and Viagra, yeah, that's true. Actually, like <laughs> England, <laughs> <laughs> it's great for circulation, really good for heart health, low, yes, lowering blood nice. pressure. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) me too i mean i can't get off of it now it's terrible (laughs) so so if someone's like struggling with (laughs) what feels like stiff muscles (laughs) okay we can recover it yeah i was like is this what you're building up is this like helping the lifting yeah okay yeah yeah so someone's struggling with with like they might just say like, I, like, for example, if I sit for too long, my, my leg doesn't want to move. It, it just, uh, starts to resist. I try to stand up and it, it doesn't want to straighten. It feels like my pelvis is kind of a, a little bit locked. And, um, but I think for the average person, it probably low back pain, probably like number one tightness in the neck. Um, 
And so what are, what are the common things that you are common complaints, I guess, because I, I feel like people aren't out there looking for this necessarily because they're not even aware that this exists. I and, wasn't aware, I'll be honest. Yeah, I know. I know. <clears throat> Yeah. But this so is what we're here for, right? I think this is the whole point. And this is why I'm saying like defining these terms and giving people more tools around this is so yeah. important mm-hmm. because it's, yes, peer to peer, we can talk in the jargon all day long, exactly. but what happens is people come in and they're just like, I don't know what any of that means. I, I literally just got off with a client right before I came on here who was struggling through a bunch of, you know, medical lab tests. And she was like, well, they said everything's fine. So I didn't even look at it. And then I pulled up some of the stuff and I'm like, well, your end ranges on some of these numbers here did she talk to you about this? And she was like, no, she said it was fine. And this goes back to this idea of like preventive medicine, Caitlin, like we talk about, like, if you wait till there's a diagnosis, it's too late. We're not looking at the trends within those ranges. And so, you know, I think when it comes to body work or tissue work or movement or, you know, muscle recruitment or any of these things, when we're looking outside of just strength training specifically, we need to equip people with better understanding of what's going on in their bodies so that they can ask good questions and they can understand what care is available. Yes, I, I totally agree. And I, so to your point of asking about this, uh, I'm still working on the wording for people to, to get it. Um, I actually did an episode talking about what I do and, and introducing it in a way that I was hoping for it to make sense to people, which is an example of what happened when I took somebody through a program. And so I had somebody that came to me and she was dealing with constant neck pain and her like a reoccurring shoulder injury. And so long story short, I was working with her. She's a yoga instructor. So she's really into her body, but these things kept happening. And so I took her through this program and I told you it's 10 sessions of cumulative effect going through very different sections of the body of releasing that fascia, as I was saying. And midway through, as we're going through this process, she's starting to remember these holding patterns that she had So this person used to have, well, she has Crohn's disease, but she used to suffer from Mm. flare-ups like 10 years prior to us working together. And she wasn't dealing with those anymore. But the patterns that kept, that remained in her body from those flare-ups was how she was actually positioning and moving her entire body. And so- It keeps the score. Exactly. Exactly. So- What was great is that we actually were able to work through that. I mean, it, it was more, you know- I don't go into the whole psychological approach, but we work through how the body is holding and also how she wants to work through that. And so that's where the movement education is. We we did some certain like fun exercises that aren't, I say exercises, I want to say movements because when people think exercise, <laughs> they think use your arm, you know, do like yeah. five curls. And that's not what we're doing. We're doing a kind of like a fun way with breath and visualization and movements to get her to move through these patterns that are kind of locked in her system. If that makes sense. I think that's a really key concept. Sorry, John, go ahead. Do you want to? <laughs> well, I, I was just thinking about, um, of course, like our digestive tract is also a series of muscles. And so one of the areas that I've had worked on um, is is in around the abdominal region, um, because like maybe I, my intestines uh, aren't working properly. My colon isn't, isn't functioning properly. And the, is there like a point like in around the belly button area or something where like a lot of this stuff like meets up? I don't know if that's an accurate description, but I mean, I've had some really painful digging in and around my abdominal muscles. Well, uh, are you, if you've had deep procedures there i mean you actually had procedures there no 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 i just mean like i've had a physiotherapist working on because i have a uh, like a, an abdominal hernia a belly button hernia oh. Oh, from, okay. from from like deadlifting for example and so she's like pulling things apart and 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 working around it because you know i can push it back in but it just pops back out again for example and so mm-hmm. um but really um she i remember her describing something and and, and clearly i'm not uh, well versed in this sort of terminology but in my in my head i was picturing like there's kind of a point where some of this comes together in and around the the abdomen and uh so that was what i was kind of digging around for well I was... haha no pun intended i i would literally love to hear how denise feels that that <clears throat> might be related to your hip because this is literally what she's talking about about when you talk about structural yeah. integration yeah because again you look directly at the point where the pain is you think oh, i have a hip problem but you've never mentioned that you also have an abdominal hernia which right. cannot possibly be unrelated all of the <laughs> structures no connect I had no idea either. And we've talked about this a number of times. This is the first time right, we've mentioned right. this. And this goes back to what I was saying initially about you you have to give people the tools to understand before they can even ask the right questions because you wouldn't have made that connection. 
on your mm -hmm. own. If you don't think of all of that tissue is connected, all of you is connected to the rest of you. Your mental health is not separate from your, your physical health and vice versa, right? So again, Denise, take it away because I guarantee <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be able to draw a connection here. Well, there's definitely a connection. I mean, that is all connected. If that's tissue, deeper tissue, we're meeting up with the hip. And so I don't want to go into two, let's see, it's like, how do you make it explain? I mean, you already said everything is connected. And I feel like when people are in pain, what I notice all the time is that me too. This is like how we all work, right? We're focused where the pain is. So it's really hard to get people to go, oh, think broader. I mean, no, it's like I have an alarm going off and I just want to go there. So for me, it's like I get them in and I deal with the alarm first because there's no space to deal with anything else, you know? So it's like, I know what you're saying. It's like, how do we give people the information to come see this work? It's like, well, uh, the pain is the first thing. So we need to reach the pain point first. There's no room for education. There's no room for it it's not a natural thing. We weren't myself included. This is why I do the work. I mean, I beat the crap out of my body, you know, it's like <laughs> I, the only way I was able to take care of it is until I became a body worker. So this isn't common knowledge. It's just knowing that we have pain and there's something we need to do. If we're not correcting it on our own, who do we seek? And so I'm hoping that more people like myself can actually get this information out. And usually what happens is we tell stories of this is what somebody went through. This is the process I take them to because what we deal with is complex and we don't want to make it a complex thing. It's already too overwhelming for a person to receive that work. Right. Yeah. Well, especially when you're in active pain, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> So then yeah, you mentioned like the name of your show, The Passionate Health Advocate. And I'm kind of curious what the what the origin kind of origin story of that is, because my my theory is we we very often go into something because we're trying to solve a problem that we've encountered in our own lives. Uh yeah, good question. Good question. So it's it's both. I it was mirroring what was I was seeing in my personal life and also with my clients. So I developed the Passionate Health Advocate show. I mean, one, my business. Uh, kind of fell apart when when COVID came. But it gave me an opportunity to do something I've been wanting to do for a long time, which is, you know, when I first started seeing clients in my private bodywork practice, I really thought that I was going to have to like encourage them to come see me, you know, get wellness treatments. You know, we do really good work. And in the end, I'm like, I'm encouraging them to see their doctors. And so I've had a lot of conversations talking with my clients of they have all this fear about seeing their doctor. Or they ended up seeing me because no one else was helping them. They didn't feel heard. And so a lot of them had, you know, not great experiences. And so it's like helping them to work with the system that we know uh, is not the best system. And so I created this show because it's like, I know that it's very overwhelming to find the care you need. And I also know because a lot of my clients, they've worked with so many other people before they saw me. And so it's, it's I, you know, I empathize with that. It's awful. So I created the show. I interview other, you know, excellent practitioners, uh, researchers to get the right information. One, it's like, okay, this is what we do. Does, what, does this make sense to you? Um, also, how do you go find somebody near you? Like, how do you even work with this kind of professional? You know, mm. it's like, if this is something that resonates. And one other piece that I get that I put in the show is that I see that people, when they, you know, go to a professional, they are like, throw their hands up. You're the professional. You fix me. <laughs> and so, and so yeah. part of this is understanding <clears throat> that everyone has a role to play and that they may be the professional, they may be the expert, but they're not the expert of you or your body. And, you know, even if you're alarmed or scared about this, you're like, but that doesn't feel right. It's like, listen to that, listen to your gut as I'm sure all of you know, since we're talking about guts. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's like bridging the gap between this disconnect of like, okay, they're not the end all be all. They're great at their job, but they don't know you. And both practitioner and patient should, should meet halfway. Hmm. Yeah. So two way street. I think people don't realize how much bio individuality comes into the play. And so they just think like there's, something wrong there's one answer to it and that one answer will work for me it'll work for you it'll work for my brother and my best friend and it's just like that's never the case 
But it is really classic human behavior, right? We really like binary choices. And the reason we like binary choices is because they're safe, right? If I do X, I get this result. If I do Y, I get that result. And so deprogramming that for people is is really, really challenging. Like getting people to think along a spectrum of options and of, of techniques. It may not be that body work is the only thing you need. You may also need to go see your doctor, like you said, you know. And I think this is where some of the work we're really focused on is, is developing better care teams for people. Mm-hmm. because it's this idea that it should just be one person and they know everything. Again, binary choice. You're the, you're the guru. You know right. all the things. You're going to solve all my problems or none of them. And, and I think this is the point and why these conversations are so, so important is to be connecting more practitioners to each other so that we can say, yes, I, you know, we're working on this thing over here, but I also think that there might be some symptoms popping up because of X, Y, or Z. And, and here's somebody I trust to know who's going to listen and take care of you outside of the, the, you know, traditional doctor patient, you get 15 minutes, hurry up and tell me, you know, the five most important Boy, that's things, generous. <laughs> I know. you know, like, and, and I think it, you can't, if, if you are in a care profession and you don't have the time to adequately take care of the people you're tasked to take care of, like it's, a, it's an yeah. insane ask. It is well, an insane what, ask. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went to my doctor oh, just a couple of days ago and that's, um, two days ago. And I went there with my laundry list. Basically, I was like, all right, we got how many, you know, I had a list of things. I was like, okay, we're just going to check these off like one after another. And look, I love him. He's a, he's a really good guy, really good hearted guy, but he has limited windows of time and there just isn't time to dig deeper. And if I wasn't advocating for my health, I, you know, I'd just go there and be like, I don't know. But I, you know, I went there and specifically I was like, Hey, you know, I want a prescription for a TENS machine. Well, cause my wife's benefits will cover it if I have a prescription, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of the, one of the tools I want to, I want to work with, you know, and I said, oh, uh, you know, here's a medication we'd used in the past. And I want to, you know, consider, you know, looking at that again, but we need to check this out in my blood work first. I'm literally asking or telling him like, I want to, can we check this, 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 this. And, you know, he's, he, he obviously knows me, but I'm like going in there being like, make sure we mark this, 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 this off on the blood work. I don't want to miss these details. And I think the average person wouldn't have any idea you know, to go in there and, and think about these things. Or as another example, like I was just on a call with a client this morning and uh, I'd actually talk about Caitlin's work a lot um, because there there's such an, you know, such an important connection between, let's say like digestive function or colon function and the rest of the body, in particular the colon, because I think of it, it's really deeply rooted with like nervous system functions. So it's actually a really useful piece of biofeedback that informs us you know, maybe kind of an example of the health of the nervous system. So, um, but yeah, the idea that we don't know what to even go and ask for, or maybe we have an idea what we want to ask for, but maybe then professional ego gets in the way and says, you don't know because I'm the expert. And I think, you know, you, you touched on, one of you touched on something really, really important. I think it was you, Denise, the idea that, like I say to all my clients, like, um, I, I'm, I'm your tour guide. I'm not your Sherpa. Like mm. we are two experts coming together. You are the expert of your, your day-to-day life, your internal environment. You know what's going on. I take the data, crunch it, chew it up, you know, and give it back to you and maybe frame it slightly differently. And we use that information to guide the recommendations, but I can't do that without something coming from the client side. Yeah. Mm. Great, great description with the whole, you're not you're the Sherpa. That's good. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, and I think that's that's the issue. I mean, obviously, we could be here for days talking about the systems, but it's like, how do people navigate the systems that we currently have? And I think mm. it's like, the first thing is, you know, they're not the expert of you, you know, and if you're if you're working with someone that um, thinks they're the end all be all, then they're not the person for you, because that's just not how it works. <laughs> that's not how it works at all. And so... Uh, Chris, what you were saying, it's like, you know, for me and my profession, and then another reason why I started the show is because I always refer out to different, you know, scopes of practice. And and that's another thing. It's like all these people I started with, it's like I knew professionally, because they do really good work. And they also see that what they do is not the end all be all. It's also something to help for the larger, Hmm. larger good. So and I think what you said about, you know, when people are in pain, it's not the time for education, I think is super crucial, because if we wait until that point where something's gone horribly wrong, and we're in uh, chronic pain, it's the worst time to make decisions, really, because you mm-hmm. just are so motivated to turn that message off, that you'll listen yeah. to a lot of people who are potentially going to take advantage of that situation that you're in. And I think that's, you know, and again, we can, we could totally talk for days about the system. And how yeah. our, all of our experiences and other systems were different. 
And I wouldn't say that everything across the board was 100% better, but I would definitely say it's a much more preventive focused model in the countries that I've lived in, where, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was very much more like, okay, well, we don't want to send you to surgery, we want to try these five things first, and we want you to modify your lifestyle this way. And we want you to, you know, Mm -hmm. go talk to this other person. And so the, the care network and the referral team is much more intact in a one, I don't want to say single payer, but in, in like a more cohesive model than the competitive medical model that we have. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, at least, you know, because I kind of went, I don't want to say rogue, but you know, as an independent <laughs> practitioner, it's like kind of, yeah. I mean, I felt better yeah. doing it that way. Cause I could kind of run things the way I believe they should. And then I connected with other professionals that follow the same model. And so luckily, you know, patients or clients of mine could benefit from that. And again, Hence why I have the show is because I would hope that would emulate out into the masses. You know, it's like they can start to find the right practitioners that make sense to them um, that have that kind of point of view. And also, um, I don't know if it was you, Caitlin, that was saying, uh, you know, it's like they can they can actually get like another they can do a second opinion. I don't know. You mentioned something that tripped on that where it's like you're just seeing one person doesn't mean that that has to be the person that you want to work with. So I do bring up in the show different points of just, you know, if this isn't working for you, how do you know if this isn't working for you? Because it's because you're ignorant of the treatment or is this just not making sense? And you, you know, everyone has the right to go see somebody else. But it's the motivation to do that. I think when you're suffering, that's where the pinch point is, because if you're already suffering, things are already bad. Like, yeah, oftentimes, literally for the quick fix. Right. And that's where marketing jumps in and capitalizes on that. And Mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, that's where we have to do extra work as these practitioners in this side of the the health sphere is, you know, like, Hey, wait, like come here first before you're in tremendous pain. Like, and this is where the proactive model is so much more effective. Right. Mm-hmm. And where the education needs to take place. Right. We, we talked about this, I think it was last week or the week before, but we talked about this idea that like basic physiology and anatomy isn't really taught unless you choose it as an elective at some point, you, you never get the, the owner's manual to this meat machine, right? Yeah. You don't get, yeah. you, you get no instructions. It's like the nineties VCRs, you know, and it's like, even that instruction manual is not adequate for what we've got going. And we don't even get that. I know. I know. I actually used to say years ago that I'd write a book about what my gym teacher never taught me. You know, <laughs> right. It's like, we don't get any of that in our basic physical education. Like, you know, uh, but I think yeah. there's maybe there's an expectation that we're supposed just supposed to know what to do. It's, it's kind of like I'm, I'm a new parent. I mean, I guess I'm a year into it, but I still feel like a complete rookie and because everything's changing all the time. But this idea that you just, you, you're just going to know what to do. I'm like, well, actually, most of the time I don't. I'm just kind of fumbling my way through it. And it, it's kind of like that in, in our body. It's like, we don't really know what to look for because maybe no one's ever even brought up the idea that, hey, mm-hmm. I, you know, I have a client who's said, oh, I'm having a bowel movement every four days. I was like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All the toxins just sitting there being reabsorbed. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is the kind of stuff like, you know, and, and I have a story, a personal story about that. When I was young, I, I actually had an issue. I was taken to the hospital because they thought I had appendicitis because my white blood cell count was so high when they took me in, they were like, it must be your appendix. You're just, you're about to die. And it was a nurse who actually figured out that it had been seven days as an eight-year-old, right? But what wow. parent asks their kid every day, have you taken a trip to the, you know. <laughs> Drop the kids off at the pool. Yeah, thank exactly. you. I was looking for an appropriate yeah. analogy <laughs> versus my Viagra me. comment from earlier. I was trying yeah, to. Baked a loaf. Um, you know, there's all kinds of great terminology for it. But nobody asked me. I didn't know it wasn't normal. And so I almost had a surgery, a surgery, an invasive surgery to remedy what was basically just a nurse being like, well, here's a solution that'll work right now. And I was out of the hospital within 12 hours. And yeah. so my mom felt terrible, which is, I feel not fair. Because like, again, you don't get a manual when you're a parent and you're now responsible for another like functioning meat machine that can't communicate with you adequately. (laughs) It has two modes, like, well, three, if we count sleep, right? It has sleep, scream, and just like look around. And that's really all you get at the first stage of life. And so it's just tremendously unfair. 
is tremendously unfair to the the parents and to the people as they grow up because then you have nobody to program it in for you later too you know and i i can't say that like had that happened i would have had that not happened that i would have ever known that that wasn't normal who talks about that right nobody nobody <laughs> nobody talks about it so I, think yeah. I had that same problem when i was like in high school like i my bathroom habits were like i remember i was so bloated after i would eat like my mom one time we were shopping she was like stop pushing your stomach out like that you look pregnant and i was like i look like this all the time <laughs> what are you talking about yeah yeah yeah. It actually, it happened to a friend of mine too, whose son, it was her. I actually, it was interesting because for me, having had that experience as a kid with, with my mom, I watched a mom friend of mine have the experience from the other side with her kid. And it took almost a year to figure out what was going on because he was, he was eating, but then he would throw up and no one ever asked about the other end, right? No one ever yeah. said, Hey, is everything making it through? And once they figured out that was going on, it took six months for him to regulate his ingoings and outgoings six months because all obviously all of his gut bacteria were messed up. And obviously he had all of that excess stuff to like purge. And it took six months for him to achieve. Kids are resilient. Sorry. Yeah. I think that's part of the problem is everyone's always like, especially when I like, if somebody says something about any kind of child, they're like, Oh, they're young. Like that's what they, they always, Oh, they're young. They'll bounce back or whatever. I'm like, um, but then everybody's like, how come all these kids have autism now? Like, how come all these kids are having all these health problems? I'm like, hello. Yeah, because it's a, it's a machine, right? And it, it takes on wear. It's like a car. It's like you can drive your car and never change the oil and think everything is fine for a really long time until it just isn't. And I mm. think this is why the owner's manual concept is so, so critical. You need it young. <laughs> yeah. You well, like, can't wait till you're 35 to get it for the first time and be like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been right. doing it all wrong. <laughs> I didn't know that did that. You know, like it's like, ah. Oh. They feed kids all of this junk because they think it's okay because they're still like skinny. I think that's the other thing. It's like, oh, mm, that one. Yes. Oh, well, they can have all this sugar and all this junk and the, well, they look fine. They're skinny and it's like, well, your kid's not going to the bathroom. They have ADHD, which let's look at what we're putting into the intestinal tract here yeah well, it's not yeah. Sure Necron, is it it's you well, know yeah like i think, I think my little fella you know and he's just learning how to walk and he's you know yeah he's squishy and and whatever but you know i don't want him like smacking his head on the concrete or something and be like oh he'll bounce back because he's young like there's there's limitations to how much i'm i'm willing to sort of witness him struggle like obviously he's going to struggle a little bit <laughs> But I'd rather him flop over on some pillows and be like, oh, okay, that wasn't so bad. Then be like, let's teach you how to walk on, you know, concrete. So it, it's this, I think that's such a, such a fallacy. Like you're skinny, so you're probably okay. There's another one right there. You're skinny, so you're probably healthy. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can eat whatever you want and get away with it. I'm like, you're not getting away with anything. That's, that's, a, that's a total fallacy because, you know, eventually this is going to catch up to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I, I have a, a client who's a stage four colon cancer survivor, skinny as a rail his whole life. No idea he had anything going on until he just kind of fell off. And so we went to the doctor and the doctor immediately was like, oh, that's it. Say goodbye to everybody. He was like, what? <laughs> but I've been healthy. And so it was this huge journey for him to actually have to go back and learn. And we worked together for quite some time on just like unpicking some of the fundamental cultural like beliefs that he could just get away and eat whatever he wanted because he was thin and he he couldn't. And I think this is the thing, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. if you wait till there are symptoms and you wait until you're in chronic pain to learn these things, it's going to be a lot harder. Well, and everybody thinks that the symptoms are normal. Like it's so common that they're like, Oh, I I have that too. Yeah. Common doesn't equal normal or optimal though. Right. And I think this is the misconception just because everybody has back pain doesn't mean it's normal yeah or or that it has to be that way i think this is one of the not really disagreements but i've had with the doctor but you know when when say the you know my blood work comes back and yes it falls into the quote-unquote normal range but i'm like well hmm, that doesn't exactly mean optimal here it's sort of hanging out kind of low and um but from the medical system it's like well you're not a priority because this isn't an immediate threat to your health and this points to this this need where 
we do have to become educated and even fight for our health because the system and, and maybe I don't know, are we conditioned to not do this and just like wait until we're sick and dying before we go to and, and maybe there's a in the US there's a fear of going to the doctor because well if I gotta pay out of pocket, this is you know, this is gonna cost me. So not you know, then my brain just goes to no wonder like the US has probably the least healthy population in the world despite spending the most on quote unquote well, healthcare. We just give you a pill. They don't go to the root cause. They don't go to the root issue. That, so it's like, why spend the money for them to give me a pill that's not going to fix the actual issue? Right. And so, well, to I your point, I'm oh, oh, sorry. sorry. What, what you're going to say, like to your point, it's like they could be on the verge of something, but it's not addressed. And I think that mm-hmm. is a real uh, shame. You know, it's <laughs> because that's that's where we come in, right? This is the whole preventative because we see that we see that a mile away, and that's the first mm-hmm. thing we want to address. But unfortunately, even if you are a physician in this system, it kind of doesn't even allow you, you know, right. to, to go there. So it's not like physicians themselves are like choosing not to, right? There's yes, and that doesn't allow that's that. What, yeah, that's what I wanted to highlight because I thought it was really helpful that you shared this. Um, I think a lot of people become doctors because they do want to help people. I I, I don't think the average individual doctor physician is this uncaring automaton who just no. wants to write prescriptions. But totally. it's, they're they're also stuck in a system, and so they're exactly. and, and as you've touched on Denise, that it's we have to work with the system we have right now, even though we want to to push for change, and building relationships with you know people inside the the, the medical system where it's like, um, you know, I have I can have this conversation with a doctor, maybe and become a you know a referral partner for them or something where it's like, okay, I'm going to send you to this person here who might be able to help you, and of course there are some ethic. I'm sure there's probably some litigious or ethical or legal lines around that as well. But how do we how do we bridge that gap where we can create better um, sort of practitioner relationships where it's okay to point someone in the direction of somebody else and they're not going to get sued if you know things didn't work perfectly. Well, and I think this is actually, you've hit on something really important, which is this, you know, liability factor for doctors. And it's funny because I was taking the practice exam for the um, National Board mm. of Health and Wellness Coaches, which is an upcoming certification to try to standardize and increase some of the requirements for people um, who are entering this field so we can all have a higher standard of care and then also get closer to working with doctors and these kinds of people. And John's going to be doing this next. So this is a hot tip for you as well. But I took the exam and one of the questions was something along the lines of, you've been working with a client for X amount of time. She was doing great. She lost her job. You know, she came in looking a little sad and disheveled. And it said, basically, you know, you say, hey, you know, how's it going? And she says, well, I think they're bad and I don't see them getting any better. And the responses were sort of like, you know, these behavior change sort of psychology questions that you could be asking. And one of the the questions was, or one of the answers, I'm sorry, was um, refer to a, a therapist, right? And the correct answer was refer to a therapist. And it really struck me because I thought, okay, legally, and to be within scope of practice, that answer makes sense. But if I had that client for any length of time and they told me that they were struggling and my very first response was, here's the card of a therapist. How is that relationship going to evolve from there? How am I doing that person a service? Because I've now got a trusting relationship with this person. They've told me something vulnerable and my initial response is rejection. Like I found that really challenging in yeah. that I actually dug into a couple of practice exams and I think I've, I've seen that, that exact same question. I was, and I got it wrong because yeah, I was like that exact same hesitation to, um, and you know, we think about a guest, we had a couple episodes back, um, mm-hmm. the hypnotist and she talked about, we don't call it hypnotherapy because nobody wants really to be therapized because there is a stigma around therapy. Um, Caitlin, I just want to alert you to the fact you have an intruder sneaking in behind oh, you there he- dressed in today. black as well. <laughs> You know, he dressed up for this occasion. Oh, yeah. nice. you know, <laughs> but I, I think this is the danger because not that you should not find a way to mm-hmm. find a, a practitioner that can help with that. Right. I'm not saying don't refer. I'm right, saying right, right. that if we're setting people up to, to draw these lines in such a hard way when they're in the position of being the facilitator of this person's care at the time, I think we're doing the opposite of what we want to be doing. Well, I think there's a fear, like uh, we go back to sort of the, the litigious nature. I mean, by litigious, I mean, people like to sue in the US. Um, they sue because they have to, because they're okay. not getting coverage, right? Right. If, okay. 
And I'll give you the example of my, I think, I don't know if I mentioned it on the live stream, but over Christmas, my father-in-law had an accident with a table saw in our house and he was on international insurance. They're English. So they have to have medical insurance when they come here in case something like this happens. Literally a week ago, I got a letter from their insurance company requesting that I contact my homeowner's insurance to claim his medical accident because it happened in my house. So when you look at how that system ties itself together, that insurance company, which is 100% responsible for that, because they've paid for that coverage, is looking to push that off on somebody else. And when you have that happening six times in a row, you get a litigious society. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And I really appreciate you, you clarifying that, because I think that that's the fear that maybe... Um, I don't say I, hate, I don't really like the term alternative practitioners, but I guess we you know whatever we call ourselves, the Wild West. You know we're not necessarily overseen overseen by like a medical body. Maybe you are Denise. I, I don't know about your practice, but the idea being like I'm afraid to point somebody in this direction because if something goes sideways, maybe they'll get sued. And and Chris, you you touched on something really important. This the idea between kind of like a fluid connection versus like a hard line. It's almost like a dam on a river versus a river that flows. Yeah, and. You know, I was, I actually was then picturing in my head, well, how would I approach a situation where I did feel like therapy was an, you know, an appropriate step for them? How might I actually bridge that gap? And it probably wouldn't start with like, here's a card for a therapist. It would start, you know, we would go into like, let's have a conversation and even test your openness to that because maybe, you know, anyway. Maybe there's a stigma still against therapy. And I think for me, that question, I found it really indicative of the mentality. A lot of practitioners feel compelled to enter a care situation with because they are trying at, at the end of the day, safety is our number one priority. And if I don't feel safe in front of this person who's asking me for help, how can I really be that genuinely there to help them? Right. Like, and, and that's what most people are missing. They're missing that connection point in healthcare. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, what you were talking about, it's, it's kind of the, the bedside manners, you know, the talk it's like, mm -hmm. I have actually worked in mental health. Um, in my former profession. And so for me, I know I can hold this space for someone dealing with stuff. So it's like, I, I can be that. I feel like I can be the bridge. I will not do that work. That's not my scope, but I, I feel very comfortable of knowing how to approach that and even, you know, help them get the care or, you know, refer them to someone else and not just cut off. And I, I think uh, it's challenging because if we go see a doctor and you feel like there's no good bedside manners, it could be cut because they're restricted on uh, legislation and what they can yeah. do. So if we're, if we're to kind of tie up thoughts, because it's, you know, I think it's, it's often we get deep into the conversation. That's where the good stuff starts to emerge. It's like, we just, we just kind of get warmed up and then, and then, uh, then I come along and say, well, clock is ticking folks. Um, but if, you know, what are really some, some final thoughts we could, we could draw away from the conversations, maybe some actionable takeaways for people that might be listening. I think the, the thing we keep dancing around, but that is, is ever present is that there are a lot of non-standard options for pain management that people need to learn more about. And I think, you know, we keep having guests that kind of come in and say, Hey, there's also this, or, Hey, we're coming at it from the, the mindset direction. And we're coming at it from the fascia direction of, you know, managing actually how your tissues are working together. And we're coming at it from this, that, like there are so many more possible solutions than a pill or a diagnosis, right? I think a lot of people stop at that diagnosis and that's, for me, that's the beginning. Yeah. 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 And I, I really will just steal a page out of Denise's book really about, you know, you shouldn't be the only passionate health advocate. In other words, each one of us really needs to become our own passionate health advocate because the system isn't set up for that. It is set up to triage the, the sickest of the population. And if you want to get beyond just not sick to actually healthy, you have to push for that and advocate for that because it won't happen by accident. Hmm. Yeah, we really don't have a preventative care system at all. You're no, the preventative no. care system, I <laughs> right. think is the, right. yeah. and, and taking ownership of that is the key, right? It's like you're going to be the most invested in your own preventive care and owning that and taking those steps is, is the solution to a system that's designed to triage emergencies. Yeah, 110%. Yeah, I know. And it sounds it sounds daunting. And that's why we're all here because everyone I mean, we we're here because 
it's an issue and, and a lot of people are not doing well with what's there. But um, in general, though, right, if we want to get through something, a challenge, an obstacle in our life, um, until you're ready to do that, nothing's going to change. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's you don't want to say, oh, it's all on you because we have these systems that aren't supporting you. But the reality is, instead of saying, oh, this sucks, even though it does, <laughs> Um, nothing will change until you decide to change something. Yeah. So it, it definitely has to come from you. Um, we're trying our best to like reach you, but, but it definitely has to come from you in your healing process, no matter what it is. So. Yeah. Oh, well, I was going to say, um, go ahead. how do people connect with you if, if they like what they've heard today and they go, I want to learn more about this fascia something and, and fascia and fascist are not the same thing. Just to, just to clarify in today's like yeah. charge and by they're completely disconnected. Uh-huh. We all have a fascist within us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's obvious sarcasm. Okay. Is that why your hips not moving? No, kidding. <laughs> oh. You got a tiny Putin in there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So how, where, where do people connect with you, Denise? So they can go to my website, which is passionatehealthadvocate.com. They can also listen to my show, which is the Passionate Health Advocate show. There's a, the podcast, any platform and YouTube channel. Awesome. Yeah. Well, certainly appreciate you you joining us today. It's been, it's been fantastic. I always love these conversations because we always we take something else away from it that we maybe didn't think about before. So um, thanks so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, John. It's been wonderful. All right. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. We are starting this Deep Health Academy and trying to start to change the narrative around what it means to get healthy and fit and to lead a fulfilling life. Because in the end, this is what our clients come to us for, whether they think they want a six pack or not, right? Like for the vast majority of people, if they do manage to achieve that goal, they still are the same person they were before they had a six pack. And a lot of the issues that they were feeling haven't been resolved. So there's mindsets, beliefs, identities, and we have to bring them into our conscious awareness. If we're going to create change, the process of bringing into our conscious awareness can be uncomfortable because now we're going to see our flaws as they are. We're going to see ourselves without the filter, but with compassion, we can look at it with a curious desire to understand. And so compassion and awareness is where we create transformation. 